Church, I invite you to turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and we're going to be studying uh, those first 13 verses in Luke 11. You'll notice that um, as quickly as I preached topically last week, and we went across various passages of Scripture, we are camping out in one this week because, like I told you, I really prefer this way of preaching. We can really spend some time in one place and make sure we understand uh, it in its context and understand it appropriately. But while you're turning there, uh, some of you are friends with me on Facebook or social media. You might have noticed I posted something last night and strongly considered following through today. Um, I thought about surrendering the pulpit about, uh, we're preaching about how to pray, and I thought about the Alabama fans needed to preach this sermon today, just kind of in unison. You know, we could take a couple of them. I got four points. Each of them could take a point of the sermon or parts of it, uh, because something happened last night for them, and uh, we pray it doesn't happen next week for them. Uh, but uh, how to pray is what we're looking at this morning, how to pray. Our mission statement as a church is that we are the heart of Christ in the heart of Cave Spring. And, and I hope this is clear by now. We, you, you hear me say it a lot, and that's intentional. We hear things a lot, we kind of remember those things, right? And so when we say that, it's not, just to be, uh, it's not just a neat slogan. It's not for marketing purposes or anything like that. It's very intentional. Uh, we want to be in the heart of this city. It's not just a geographic location because we certainly are geographically in the heart of our city, but we want to be part of, part of our city. We, we want to reach our city for Christ. And to do that, we've got to reflect Christ's heart in this city. And so a while back, we looked at uh, what this meant, this vision of the church, and we looked at what Christ's heart is as we see it in Scripture. We see that Jesus was a teacher, Right? He was known to be a very good teacher, so we believe we should be a teaching church, meaning we should teach the Word of God and do it clearly, do it effectively, do it carefully, do it responsibly. And we saw also that Jesus is a sending Savior. He was sent to us, and then now he sends us into the world. So we believe we should be a sending church. Right? We should give to send missionaries to the farthest reaches of the world. We should also send ourselves, our church, into this community, into our families, into our workplaces. And so we talk about being on mission for the Lord. But then finally, and this is something that's left out, I think, of a lot of uh, vision statements or points of emphasis for many churches, but for us, we want to make sure that we reflect Christ's heart, and we see Jesus praying regularly. He prays publicly, he prays privately, he prays often, he prays in the morning, he prays before important decisions, he prays before going to the cross. He was a praying savior. And so we should be a praying church. And after considering all of that, I felt like, you know, we should take some time to consider really what that means. And so we're spending a few weeks here to consider that together. To ask some important questions about prayer. Last week we sought to answer this question, why? don't we pray? Why don't we pray? If you missed that, it's on the screen in front of you. These are some reasons, maybe not all the reasons, but I think some key reasons we don't pray as often or as effectively as we should. Maybe we've lost focus on spiritual matters. We're all too busy to pray, I think. We trust in our own abilities instead of God's power, and then very simply, we don't know how to pray. That last one is probably really hard for us to, to admit to ourselves. 
It's really hard for us to admit, uh, not just to ourselves, but maybe to those around us. And so here's the big idea as we work through this passage together. I want to challenge all of us with this. We should not assume that we know how to pray. This is not an assumption. The, the reason the Bible speaks so often about how we should pray, the reason Jesus tried to teach so clearly about how to pray is because I believe it's something that does not come natural to us. You know, it's more natural for us to feel awkward when we pray. And it's especially awkward when we consider having others hear us pray. One of the most uncomfortable things I do as a pastor is pray in front of you. I mean that. <laughs> because I, to me, it's a very private thing that I do. And I believe that as I pray, it's something that's reflective of my heart. It's a personal thing. It's awkward sometimes. Let me encourage you this way. There's no shame in not knowing how to pray. There's no shame in, in admitting that this morning. But there is great shame in not asking how or bothering to learn how to pray. I think many of us in this room, even if we've been a part of the church for a really long time, no one's ever really sat down and said, this is how you pray. For some of you in this room, maybe you've only heard uh, prayers that are prayed in the context of the church. Uh, maybe you've only heard uh, prayers that are said over a meal or at bedtime. No one's ever really sat down with you and said that this is how you make prayer a part of your daily life. There's no shame in that. But if we don't bother to listen when Jesus says, this is how you should pray, I believe there's great shame and even, I would say, sin in that. So here's what we're going to do this morning. The disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? And he teaches them. And along with them, I want us to kind of lean in close and listen to how Jesus teaches them to pray. And I certainly believe we will learn ourselves. Luke chapter 11 and verses 1 through 13. I'm going to let you remain seated this morning. It's a longer passage of scripture. Listen carefully to the word of the Lord. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness or his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know you through your word. And God, I pray today that you will teach us through your word. Let us understand it clearly. And God, I pray that you'll bless the proclamation of your word by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In these verses, Jesus teaches four lessons about how to pray to his disciples. And if we are following Jesus, we are his disciples. And we should listen as well. First, notice this in verse 1. We should be on mission in prayer. We should be on mission in prayer. You see, the disciples, they had seen Jesus heal people. He had cast out demons. He had preached and taught like no one else before him or ever since. And they had noticed that foundational to everything that he did, the key to everything that he did, was prayer. The very fact that the disciples asked this question, or this one disciple asked this question, or asked Jesus to teach him to pray, communicates two things about how prayer is connected to the mission that God has given to every single one of us. So let's connect mission to prayer this morning. First, prayer unites disciples with the, with the Father on mission. Prayer unites the disciples. It unites us to our Heavenly Father on mission. Although Jesus, again, had performed many miracles, the disciples knew that behind all of these things was Jesus' prayerful lifestyle. Notice also how this disciple tagged his request. Look carefully. He says in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And so he ties this request to teach him to pray to the fact that he is a disciple, one who is following Jesus. Now, disciples, uh, discipleship rather, is something we have to often define in the context of the church. It's not something that comes natural to us. It's not something that culturally seems appropriate to us. This is why constantly we have to lean into this as a church. It's why we have to really emphasize how do we make disciples. But in the first century world where Jesus was preaching and teaching here, it was natural. It was something that was common to them culturally. That's why this disciple said, teach us just like John taught his disciples. You see, disciples had a close relationship with the one that they were following. This was a relationship of deep loyalty. In fact, this is why you see when Jesus calls the disciples, they abandon everything else. They leave their families, they leave their jobs, they leave their possessions behind, and they commit to follow Jesus. This is something that's foreign to us, but it was natural to them. It was loyal. It was a deep, intimate relationship with the one they were following. Moreover, though, Jesus makes it clear that if we're going to be a disciple, it means we love 
our master Jesus. And if we love our master Jesus, then we're going to keep his commands. He says, in fact, John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. It's not that our, uh, his love towards us is based upon us keeping his commands. No, rather it's the other way around. If we love him, we're going to do what he asks us to do. This gives even more significance to what Jesus says here. The way he answers the question, beginning in verse 2, he says, whenever you pray. We talked about this last week, how praying is not a suggestion. It's not something that is uh, something that's only for particular Christians. It's not something that's just for those who may be gifted in that way. It's not just for those who maybe hold particular roles in the church. No, it is something that's an expectation of every follower of Jesus. This is not a suggestion to be united to the Father in prayer. Rather, it is an expectation that flows out of our union with him. To be a disciple of Jesus is to then be a prayer warrior for Jesus. They go together. They're inseparable. In this disciple's request and the teaching that follows, we see this second lesson as well. Not just that we're united to the Father on mission, but secondly, notice this. Prayer unites disciples with one another on mission. There's a detail here in the grammar. I know some of you get bored by grammar, but let's look at it carefully. There's a detail in the grammar in the way the question is asked, and also in the way the question is answered, every one of the pronouns is found in the plural. It's not, Lord, teach me to pray. And if you read further, it's not, forgive. when Jesus answers the question, and look at verse 4, he says, forgive us our sins. He doesn't say, forgive me of my sins. He doesn't say, in verse 3, give us, he doesn't say, give me each day my daily bread. No, he says, give us each day our daily bread. This is not an accident. In other words, what Jesus is saying to them and what the question implies is that prayer is meant to be something that is done in community with others. It unites believers together. Now, prayer should not be something we do for attention. Jesus teaches about that too back in Matthew's gospel preceding all of this teaching, we find there that he instructs his disciples, don't stand up and pray and call attention to yourself. In other words, he talks about being private in your prayer life, but it's not exclusively to be private. Because the implication here is others are going to hear us pray. And that's okay, and also that would be expected. Let me illustrate it for you like this, and I've I've, I've longed for an opportunity to talk about this and illustrate this for you because it's something I remember when it happened the first time I came home and I couldn't quit talking about it to Cherie. On Wednesday nights, we have a prayer meeting uh, that meets right here in the Martha Davis parlor. There's about eight of us or so when we're at full capacity. Sometimes it's less. It's a small group of people that meet together and we pray. It's not a prayer meeting where we go through a list and we talk about everybody and everything on the list. You know, sometimes prayer meetings turn into, into gossip sessions. That's not what this is. We go through very particular needs related to our community, related to our church, spiritual needs, people who are lost and far from God and how we can pray for them. And then we spend uh, the other half of the time together praying out loud in front of each other. It's a time where well, we're praying together upwards of about 40 to 45 minutes. It's a serious time of prayer. But here's what's beautiful about that time. 
We got two folks that attend that prayer meeting that are deaf. Terry and Elaine attend that prayer meeting. They come each and every week very faithfully. I asked for their permission before I shared this illustration, by the way, to make sure it was okay with them. I'll never forget the first time they came. We didn't have anyone there to translate, to interpret the prayer. And Elaine began to pray. And we sat there together in silence. And I want to tell you something, church. I can't think of a more special experience I've ever had in prayer with other believers. And then we continue week after week to pray together. And, and, and Terry would come and he would pray for the people in our community by name. The needs in our community by name. The lost in our community by name. Very specific, very careful prayers. Here's the point of this. The point is, prayer unites us together. It didn't matter about any of the differences in that room. It didn't matter that some were hearing and some were deaf. No, rather, because we were all following Jesus and because we were all calling out to Jesus, listen, he heard each and every one of us all the same. Prayer unites us to the Father. Prayer unites us with one another together on mission. I tell you as a church often, the way I get to know you best is by praying for you. When you tell me how to pray for your family, that is remembered by me. I remember that more than I remember your birthday. I don't have to have a list anymore that tells me how to pray for you. Why? Because you tell me this is what's going on. I remember that. That's how I know you. Listen, that's how we know each other. We pray for each other and we pray with each other. So we should be on mission in prayer. On mission with the Lord and on mission together but we also must make sure of this. We must be focused in prayer. We've got to be focused in prayer. If you're like me, your mind tends to wonder when you pray. You know what I'm talking about. You start praying, and then you start thinking about the day ahead of you, and you get worried about it. And then you're like, oh my goodness, I was supposed to be praying. What happened? Uh, or, or maybe if you're like me, you've got some children in your house. You start praying, and then they need something. And you got to pay attention. Uh, maybe your phone rings while you're praying. Maybe if, if you're like me, you got a, even a watch on your wrist that's going to vibrate or ding and tell you when your phone's ringing, which is in your pocket. It's really silly if you think about it. Well, we get distracted when we pray, whether by our thoughts or whether by external factors. Uh, listen carefully. Some of you even pray and drive. That's crazy. Don't do that. I don't want to be on the road with you when you're praying. If you're praying like you should. And so in verses 2 through 4, here's what we see. Jesus gives us an outline for prayer. Don't get hung up specifically on what he says, almost like it's some sort of formula. Rather, what I want us to walk away with from verses 2 through 4 is an outline for how you can sort of outline your prayers. A way you can stay focused in prayer. Notice this. First, draw near to him when you pray. We should draw near to him when we pray. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, whenever you pray, say, Father. Father. Uh, this might be lost on us in the English language, but if you study the, the, where this word actually comes from, it comes from an Aramaic word, Abba. Abba means very simply, Daddy. 
It's as if when my little girls come up to me and say, Daddy, here's something I need. Why can they call me Daddy? It's because we know each other. It's because we have a relationship with each other. It's because there's some intimacy in our family relationship. And in the same way, there should be intimacy in our prayers. But be careful about this. This should push us towards a genuine sense of nearness. It's not a facade and it's not fake. No, this is a real sense of nearness. Listen, prayer should be like a family conversation. It's a conversation between a father and his children. Let me give you an example of this. I'm going to do this as much as I can or remember to throughout the sermon. I guess as much as I don't read past it in my notes, really. Maybe you say something like this when you pray. Lord, thank you for letting me come to you today and share with you what's on my heart. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every time we pray, we start just like that? Lord, thanks for letting us talk to you today. Thanks for letting me bring to you what's the deepest desire of my heart. In my prayers, I say something like this. I know you already know everything about me, but I'm going to tell you anyway, and I want to know more about you as I pray. What if we started every time we pray like that? Lord, you already know me. I want to know you. Father, he says. This nearness, though, should be balanced. We should also, notice this, we should worship him. We should worship him when we pray. We, we see a couple of phrases here that we need to pay careful attention to. He says, uh, first of all, he says, your name be honored as holy. And then he says, your kingdom come. Both of these things communicate a posture of worship in our prayers your name be honored as holy. Here's what this really means. In the context of what Jesus was actually saying, there was a lot more wrapped up with a name than what we might understand it today. Our names are sometimes given to us, or sometimes given to us, most of the time probably, because they're cute. They sound good to our parents. Let me give you an example. Harper and Hudson. I, I try not to use my kids as illustration, but I've done it a couple times today. Harper and Hudson. Harper, our oldest Everybody said, oh man, y'all must have named her um, after that famous author, Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. And we just used to nod our heads and say, sure did, yep. No, we just thought Harper was cute. Well, uh, Hudson, when he was coming along and we told everybody what his name was going to be, missions was on our heart. Uh, we, mission, we were all about, we were, we, were, we were preparing at that time to go to the nations. Hudson was two years old when we were in the Philippines. So while he was in the womb, we were getting ready for all of that. And everybody said, man, you must have named Hudson after that famous missionary, Hudson Taylor. And I just wanted to say, yeah, sure did. Nope, we named him after Tim Hudson, the great Braves pitcher. <laughs> yes, we did. Cherie's shaking her head no, but that's what I thought. Listen, but a name in the first century, here's what it communicated. A name in the first century, it defined all of a person's character. This is why Jesus, remember he renamed Simon. What did he say? You're no longer Simon, you are Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. A name communicates something. Listen carefully. When we say, Lord, your name be honored as holy, here's what we should say in our prayers. God should be God in our prayers. God should be God. We should not diminish his character. We should not uh, minimize his character. 
he should still be God in the fullest sense of being God. Your kingdom come, Jesus says. We should say that when we pray. You know, kingdom language is sort of lost on us now. We live in a democracy. Uh, We don't think about living under the dictatorship of a king. But to live in a kingdom is to submit to the authority of the king. And so when we pray and we say, Lord, your kingdom come, here's what we're saying. Like Matthew says it, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe say this when you pray. You come to the Lord, you say, thanks for listening to me today. Thanks for letting me share my heart with you today. And then you continue to say, Lord, I'm not seeking to manipulate your will as I pray today. I pray that you'll help me to have peace with whatever your will is. Of course, Lord, you know the longings of my heart, and so I'm going to bring those to you in prayer, and and, and I want to talk to you about those things in prayer. But I bring it to you in humility, and I submit to whatever your will is. You're my king, and I'm your servant. When I pray daily for our church, this is the way I voice it. Lord, this is your church, and I'm your servant. Very few things are repeated regularly in my prayers, but those two things are repeated every time. This is your church. It's not mine. It's not anybody else's. It's your church. And let me be your servant. Maybe as a father, you say something like this, or as a mother, you say this, Lord, this is your family. I'm your servant. Uh, When you are at your job and having a difficult time, you realize in submission to the Lord, you say, Lord, I know you gave me this job. This is your endeavor. Lord, I'm just your servant here. You see how that works? You express your heart, but you submit to his will all at the same time. Only after drawing near to him and worshiping him should we bring then our request to him. When we do so, we are saying uh, this, we depend on him. We depend on him. Look, three things are expressed here. I'm going to try to move through these quickly. Three ways that we depend on the Lord in our prayers. First of all, daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. To ask for daily bread implies that we come to him daily. Lord, I'm coming to you with these needs for today. This means that prayer is not something we do one day and we abandon for a month at a time. It's not something we do only when we need something. No, we come to the Lord depending on him in prayer. Lord, give me today what I need. But secondly, we depend on him for forgiveness of sins. Jesus says you should pray this way, for forgive us of our sins. Now, be careful as you read further not to mistake forgiveness of sins as being dependent on us forgiving others for sins. Uh, we see throughout the scriptures that God forgiving us is based exclusively on his grace. And so we got to balance that with what he says here. And so to understand this rightly, he says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. In other words, as we forgive others. Say it this way. If we're going to appreciate his forgiveness of us, we need to understand how to forgive other people. Forgiving people's hard, Right? It's hard. It's one of the hardest things we have to do or one of the, things, the hardest things we're commanded to do in Scripture. And what Jesus is saying here is I want you to consider that and now consider that the Father forgives you when you ask him. 
Forgiveness then is a little more weighty, right? Forgive us our sins. Then he says, don't lead us into temptation. All right, so daily bread, all right, we're depending on him for that. Forgiveness of sins only comes from him, exclusively by his grace. And then he says, don't lead us into temptation. This is a confession of our weakness to per- persist in sin. It's a confession, a recognition of our flesh. Maybe it looks something like this when you pray. Again, you're depending on him. You've said, Lord, here's what I really need today. You know my heart. You know my needs. You know what I'm walking through. I'm bringing this to you as a petition. I'm, I'm praying on behalf of this other person. All those things. And forgive me of these sins. I know I talked to you yesterday and since yesterday, this is what's happened and this is what I know I've done. And I ask you to forgive me. But this is what protect us from temptation sounds like. Lord, don't let me be proud. Instead, help me to give glory to you for what you're doing. Maybe you say this, Lord, you know I'm tempted towards laziness. Help me to get done what I need to get done today. Maybe you say something like this going into the holiday season. Lord, you know I'm tempted toward gluttony. I love to eat more than I should. Lord, will you help me to practice moderation? Lord, you know I'm tempted towards anger and hateful speech. So as I go to work today, Lord, and I deal with that coworker, would, would you give me an extra amount of patience for that? Lord, my, my kids are frustrating me. They've, they've already, I've been trying to talk to you now for a few minutes, and I can't even get a word in edgewise praying to you, and they're in there screaming at me. Oh, Lord, they're difficult today. You know that. Give me patience as a mother or as a father. Lead me not into temptation. After this straightforward instruction, Jesus then shares a couple of humorous illustrations. First, to communicate this, be persistent in prayer. Be persistent. I'm not going to read the story to you again. I want to illustrate it for you in common language. The story is the the knocking on the door thing and the neighbor and all this kind of crazy stuff. I can't get up and I can't let you in, that kind of thing. I want you to imagine for a minute you're, you're asleep at night, sound asleep, and the phone dings and it's a text message, right? You know that notification. It's, it's a text message. It comes through. And, and what do you say immediately? Uh, that can wait till in the morning, right? It's a text message. It, it can't be that important. Uh, well, then after the ding of the text message, then there's the phone ringing. And you're, you're like, man, will that thing hush? And, and maybe you even reach over and you click that button that silences it and you go back to sleep. But then it rings a third time. Right, the third time you're getting woken up by by your phone. At this point, you're going to get up. It must be important if this person won't leave me alone. God help them if it's not. That's kind of what's going on here. The phone's ringing again and again and again, and and they're trying to ignore it and trying to get to send the neighbor on the way or the friend on the way, and, and then finally they answer it, and they help them. Two things I want you to learn about persistence from this. This is what Jesus intended for us to learn. First, we will not abandon prayer when we are truly concerned about what we bring to God in prayer. Again, when that phone's ringing, right, again and again, it's probably something important or they wouldn't keep calling. This neighbor kept knocking. Why? Because it was important. It wasn't something that was going to be abandoned quickly. Maybe in your prayers, 
You say it this way, Lord, I know I talked to you about this yesterday, but I'm going to talk to you about it again today. Lord, I know I asked you to heal my loved one yesterday. I trust you, but I'm bringing it to you again. Uh, Lord, I know I asked you to save my friend. I'm going to talk to you about it again today, though, Lord. Uh, Lord, I've asked you to hold our church together in unity. Lord, I'm going to bring it to you again today. Don't you see that? If it's important, you're not going to neglect it. If it's important, it's not something you talk to him about one week and then you put to the side for another month. No, the implication is you are persistent in your prayers. Not that that's going to manipulate God. Don't, don't get that wrong. God is, we see in the illustration there, God is, it delights him to give us those things. It delights him to, to bless his people. It delights him to grant our requests. It gives him joy. We're not going to manipulate that. But rather it communicates about who we are. Be persistent in your prayers. But notice this also. We will not abandon prayer when we truly know that God hears us when we pray. The reason the neighbor kept knocking in the story is because he knew someone was listening on the other side. The reason the phone kept ringing at night and you kept calling was why you knew somebody heard that. Most of us struggle with this we feel like our prayers get no higher than the ceiling. I've heard that so many times. Pastor, will you help me? I feel like my prayers aren't reaching any higher than the ceiling. No, nobody's really listening to me. I, I lean into the promises of God's word in answer to that. I don't have any magical formula to give you. I'm just going to give you the word. Here's what he says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. There's this assurance. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. And Jesus tries to make that clear in this illustration. So Jesus then ties persistence to a final concept I want you to take with you today. Another illustration. He says, finally, we should be expectant in prayer. We should be expectant in prayer. So persistent and expectant. Meaning we believe that he's going to answer us when we pray. It makes a difference. Trust is wrapped up in this expectant attitude in our prayers. In other words, trusting that God knows what's best. And that's what he communicates in that illustration. He says, which of you, when you ask for an egg, <laughs> is going to give your child a scorpion? Right? It's kind of a silly illustration that's lost on us. But really what he's saying is God knows best. God knows what's best. And we trust that when we pray. So two things that should not disappoint us when we pray. In other words, two things actually should give us great joy. Don't be disappointed when God gives us what is best in answer to our prayers. A lot of times we bring things to the Lord and we don't get what we ask for. But there's this assurance in Scripture right here. He's still giving us what's best. He doesn't guarantee that he's going to take away that medical diagnosis. But he does guarantee that it, whatever happens is best. He doesn't guarantee that that financial provision is going to come through. And in our minds, that's what's best. But what he gives us an assurance of here in this illustration is what he does give us, even if it's not what we wanted, it's what's best. 
And then he gives us the assurance of the greatest blessing of all. He closes in the final verse with this. Don't be disappointed when God gives us himself in answer to our prayers. Notice how he wraps it up. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It may not be that God takes away whatever pain you're walking through, but there is an assurance right here that for his children, he is still walking with you through it. He gives us himself in answer to our prayers. I want to close with a couple questions. They're pointed. I don't expect a public response for this, okay? I want this to be something you consider right where you are. Question one. Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to pray? We just spent 35 minutes looking at it, okay? I can assure you, 35 minutes is not enough time to learn how to pray. So here's what I encourage you to do. We, we believe in making disciples. It ties in together, right? We are a teaching church, right? Part of this was teaching. Teaching about prayer. Well, there are people in this room today who are prayer warriors, Maybe you know that you're one of those. Uh, here's how you probably know. Someone comes to you all the time and says, listen, I know you pray, so I'm telling you about this. Who are you teaching to pray? Prayer is not something that's meant to be done just privately. We see that in his word. If we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to walk and talk like Jesus, which is what we're called to do, we ought to be teaching other disciples how to pray. We ought to be teaching our kids how to pray. We ought to be teaching those that are new believers in our fellowship how to pray. Don't assume that people know how to pray. But if you don't know how to pray, there's no shame in not knowing how to pray. But there's great shame in not bothering to be taught how to pray. Seek that out. Go to a brother or sister that you trust and say, hey, I really struggle with this. I don't expect you to explain all the theology of the Bible to me but I know you pray. Can you teach me how to do that? I want to encourage you. I don't mean this in an arrogant way or to put these folks on a pedestal, but, but, but come on a Wednesday night. Do. Come on. I'm not saying you've got to make a commitment to come all the time. I, I'm not saying that. This isn't something open-ended kind of thing, but come on a Wednesday night. Come in here and sit and listen. Listen. Pay attention. And you'll walk away, I promise you, with a better picture of how to pray. And then finally... If you know how to pray, when's the last time you prayed? That's the private question. I don't want you to raise your hands or write that on a card. Listen, when's the last time you prayed? I don't mean that foxhole prayer, Lord, I'm in a pickle, help me now. I mean that daily walk with the Lord, like we just talked about this morning. Lord, thanks for hearing me. Lord, thanks for being who you are. Thanks for being God. And, and Lord, I need this daily need. Lord, I need you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. I know I'm struggling with this in my life. Would you help me deal with that? That's what we're talking about. When's the last time you prayed? Would you stand as we pray?